You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. You can tell the girls down at the Ritz that we're going to be talking about American Recordings, the 81st album by Johnny Cash. It was released on April 26th, 1994 by the label American Recordings. It was produced by Rick Rubin, primarily in his living room in Los Angeles and Cash's cabin in Tennessee. The album marked the beginning of a career resurgence for Cash and won a Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Folk Album in 1995. My guest today, why him, Lord? Well, he's a beast, along with being a retired criminal defense lawyer and the presenter of the Americana Show on Mad Wasp Radio, Johnny Steingold. Welcome to the show, Johnny. Thanks, Derek. Good to be here. So tell me, how did this album enter your life, Johnny? Well, I first became aware of Johnny Cash in the early 70s when, when he, something in Brittany was a bit of a novelty act, you know, a boy named Sue, one piece at a time. And I didn't pay him much attention. And then I bought, in the 80s, the Million Dollar Quartet on vinyl, you know, the Elvis, Johnny yeah. Cash, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis messing about in the studio, Sam Phillips records it, yada, yada, yada. He was a bit player still, and then I went to my brother-in-law, sister-in-law's wedding in Ireland, and he was wearing a full kilt and Scottish gear, as Scottish. And he came into reception, and it wasn't a song on this album. It was When the Man Comes Around. Mm. There were all these people at the wedding, and he comes into this. And I just thought, what the, what the hell is this? And that, that was my resurgence into Johnny Cash. And I went backwards after that into the other albums. I mean, it's one of the greatest comebacks in the history of music, I think, because he was dead in his legs, so to speak, professionally. And uh, Rick Rubin comes along and says, I'd like to make an album the way you want to make it, which nobody had ever said to him before. And suddenly the beast in me was released. Yeah, I just uh, assumed that you maybe had uh, known about him for a little bit longer. So this, for me, was the first album I heard from Johnny Cash. Now, I knew of Johnny Cash. You know, I'm an American, so Johnny Cash isn't a bit in our DNA. So I'm sure I'd heard Walk the Line and Ring of Fire and a smaller other handful of boy named Sue, you know, some of the more novel novelty songs that he had done. But I wasn't a country music fan, and neither were my parents. So there was just no Johnny Cash lying around, let's say. And I mentioned this on a previous show because I did uh, the uh, the third album in the series in my first season here. So kind of excited to, to take on this one because, like I said, this is the album that introduced me to Johnny Cash. I was working in college radio in 1994, and I was the metal director. So I was doing a heavy metal program. And one of the labels that I talked to was Deaf American at the time. And I think they had just changed to American Recordings, maybe. There's a, a song that was written by Glenn Danzig on this album. And so they sent this record. I don't know to how many, but they sent this record out to some of the metal directors just because there's this Glenn Danzig connection. Now, I don't think they expected us to play that song, but just more of a, hey, just so you know. And I don't know if it's because I went to college in the South. Uh, I don't know if they did this for every metal program in the country. Not really sure. I never really asked, but I took it home and listened to it. And just immediately this album worked for me. It was amazing. And so then I instantly became a convert to Johnny Cash. And so I you know, probably bought a greatest hits package. And like, this is his 81st record. Yes. So it's not like I could just, ah, I'm going to go get the back catalog because not everything is really strong. You know, he, he, he struggled a bit in, in the late seventies and the, into the eighties, not to say there wasn't some good stuff there. And I have heard some good stuff, but that's just too formidable of a catalog to just, where do you start? You know, you don't, are you going to get the chicken and black? 
pack or are, are you going to get you know something great? So I went with the greatest hits package and I like the later stuff better than I like the earlier stuff, though there is some fantastic songs in this early part, obviously. Yeah. Let's go ahead and uh, start on the track by track analysis here. We're going to go side one, song one, Delia's Gone. I went up to Memphis and I met Delia there. Found her in her parlor And I tied her to her chair Delia's gone One more round Delia's gone She was low down and trifling And she was cold and mean And this was my introduction to Johnny Cash. Now, I know this is a, a, a song that he had recorded earlier in his career, so he redid this. You start the album off with a murder ballad. <laughs> you know, how can you go wrong? That's the, That gets sure. the, the the little heavy metal in my heart, you know, bump it, pumping. It's just, it's fantastic. This album is really stark. It's not a country record, really. It has its moments, but it's more of a folk record. And I think that appealed to me because I'm a fan of Leonard Cohen as well. So this was just, I think, a great start because he still has pretty full control over his baritone you can hear a little bit of the weakening of age but not much you know his guitar playing is not a whole lot to talk about but it's serviceable because his voice is just right there right up front talking about killing a woman that he probably would have married had he not killed her you know <laughs> so johnny tell me what are your thoughts on delia's gone he sings it in a very matter-of-fact style you know as if it's just I went out and bought a pint of milk. I came back and I murdered my woman. It's a true story, isn't it? It was Delia Green in 1900 was murdered. She was 14 and she was having a relationship with, a, I think he was 15, Mose Houston. Hmm. And it seems that he shot her because she called him a son of a bitch. I mean, the, the explanation of how it came about isn't really clear, but it seems to be a tradition of murder ballads. You know, you've got rain and, rain and snow, you know, the sorry, the, the wind and rain where the guy finds the body of a girl that washed up in the shore and makes musical instruments out of her bones. I mean, yeah, I think the Me Too movement wouldn't uh, be squaring themselves alongside any of these songs. As you say, his voice is tremendous. And the guitar playing is almost instrumental, incidental. It's just there to accompany the voice, really. I remember I listened to one of your podcasts on the one of his other albums. I think it was, it was a Solitary Man and the third one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and your your guest said that you know he didn't have a great voice. It's not he's not Frank Sinatra. Let's put it that way. But his voice is there for a purpose, and it's a it's a combination of vulnerability and aggression. That sums it up pretty well. I think the thing with Johnny Cash is he his voice was a bit of a limited instrument, but he knew how to get the most out of it. Sure. So let's move on to track two. Let the train blow the whistle. I don't want no aggravation when my train has left the station. If you're there or not, I may not even know. Have a round and remember things we did that weren't so tender. Let the train blow the whistle when I go. And what are your thoughts here? My thoughts about the album generally, this is a guy who's getting his affairs in order because he's he knows that his days are numbered. And I think Let the Train Blow the Whistle was him writing his will. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a look back, not in anger. I love this song. This is one of my favorites on this album. 
a song I really wouldn't object to being played at my own funeral. So this is just one, the, the way he, he sings it, because it's sly and it's funny while still being fairly matter of fact. And he has just a few moments here where, uh, you know, because he obviously thinks there's an afterlife. He was a, he was a Christian man. And, uh, you know, he has that line, you know, so tell the gossipers and liars, I'll see them in the fires. But he also says, you know, if you're there or not, I may not even know talking about his funeral. So I think he's still on that. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he feels he's lived his life the way he's wanted to. And he feels he should be celebrated when he's gone. So uh, I think there's, there's a lot to love about this song. Yeah, there's something as well. The train is a metaphor in American music, you know, for freedom and travel and movement and wide open space. We don't have the same thing here. To here you get a train if you don't want to go anywhere, you know, and you want to sit and look out the window while it's not, it's not moving. The train <laughs> is such a huge part of American culture. One of the yeah. things I love about it. Yeah, especially in the in the country western tradition, you don't hear as much about trains in in rock and roll, but in folk music and in country music in in the states, definitely big time. Yeah. There's probably a couple of tra- you know, there's at least one other song that mentions a train in this, and uh, you know, he had that whole list. I think it was on the second record uh, when talking about Soundgarden, his cover of Soundgarden's Rusty Cage, and it was like, you know, I like songs about, and then he listed you know, 37 things or something. It was Fanta and one of those things was trains. So it was great. That brings us to track three, The Beast and Me, which is a Nick Lowe song. The Beast and Me Has had to learn to live with pain And how to shelter from the rain And in the twinkling of an eye. He did quite a few covers in the uh, this second part of his career, maybe even third part of his career, if you want to talk about it. Uh, this album has quite a few, and this is the, the first one. Those first two were written by Johnny, and The Beast of Me was written by Nick Lowe. Even though this is written by somebody else, this song just feels so much like Johnny Cash. So he was always a person that not just wrestled with his demons, but was very open about his own struggles with drugs, with alcohol, uh, with infidelity. He was troubled, especially in in the earlier part of his life. And he's always admitted that, and he's always embraced that. And for that, I'm not a Christian person myself. I'm I'm an atheist. I've often joked that Johnny Cash is the only person I will tolerate talking about Jesus. Uh, and while this isn't it, just I, I like this idea that he knows even here in in this part of his life, this late in his life, he's singing this song because he knows that those that beast is still inside him. And it's something that he still had to reckon with and had to struggle with and had to make sure did not come out, all while being just a really terrific song. What do you think about this? Yeah, he, his first major negative in his life. I think it was a farming accident, wasn't it? His, his brother was killed in a, with the combine harvester or something, and Johnny Cash was meant to have done the job that his brother did. And I think he had the guilt of surviving when his brother had actually died as a result of that accident. And that, that was the start of the, you know, the downward spiral. Um, Nick Lowe, I, I wish I could remember it, but Nick Lowe told a wonderful story about how he was sitting up at night getting drunk, writing us to write a song for Johnny Cash. How did I write a song for Johnny Cash? The next day, Johnny Cash and his entire entourage turns up at Nick Lowe's place. They said, well, have you done the song yet? He said, well, I'm still working on it. And they had a listen and they loved it. But the thing is, when you hear Nick Lowe singing it, I think you know that there isn't really a beast inside Nick Lowe. It's almost tongue in cheek. 
He's, yeah. To me, Nick Lowe is one of the great songwriters. He's one, one British songwriter that can hold his own with Americans when it comes to writing country tunes. And uh, But Johnny Cash, there is a beast. You can tell the way he sings the song and his phrasing. There is a beast dying to get out of there. But there's a compassionate side as well. It's a wonderful song. Yeah, it really is. And I hadn't sought out the Nick, because you know, Nick Lowe has recorded a version. And I finally listened to that not too long ago. And it's a, it's, it's a fine song, but you know, Cash owns this song uh, like he does with so many that he did in this, this part of his career. So on to track four, Drive On. But it's better than not coming back at all. Many a good man I saw fall. And even now, every time I dream, I hear the men and the monkeys in the jungle scream. Drive on, it don't mean nothing. My children love me, but they don't understand. And I got a woman who knows her man. Drive on, it don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing. Drive on. What are your thoughts here? Drive On was a song, he and June were reading a lot of books about Vietnam at the time. And the Drive On thing came from soldiers, you know, when one of their colleagues had been shot and lying on the ground, they wouldn't stop to pick him up in case they ended up being shot. And it was Drive On, you know, there's bad stuff happening in life, but get through it, Drive On, and that's says us something about the way he lived his life, really. Yeah, so heard him talk about that story uh, a few times. He was he was pretty open about this, that, you know, he was in the Air Force, but he didn't see any action, let's say. He was in Germany when the war was going on in Korea. But he had a great interest in the lives of soldiers. Like you said, he was reading a lot about Vietnam at this time when he uh, when he wrote this. And he said, you know, they, they had to say it don't mean nothing when obviously it, it meant everything. But yeah. if you if you think too much about that, you're not going to be able to keep moving. So it's that. And so this is another one of those songs where, where Cash really inhabits a character and that character still feels so real. Like this could have been his own experience. And he does a, a really fantastic job of that with the songs that he writes or even when, it, when he's uh, covering a song where he, he makes you believe it. And yeah. that made him such an, an effective performer, made him such a great singer. Yeah, one of the things about Johnny Cash, there's only, there are very few people who share this quality. And I think Bruce Springsteen's the only one I can think of that whatever side of the spectrum, political spectrum you're on, nobody's got a bad word to say about Johnny Cash. Nobody's got a bad word to say about Bruce Springsteen. You know, they appeal to everybody across the political spectrum. I don't know if that, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It shows it shows their popularity. Yeah, and the thing is, I think Johnny Cash was politically active. So I, I know there are conservatives who probably like to claim both of them as their own. I think even though they fell or do fall more on the liberal side, but yeah, he was in support of the, the common man. I don't think he really was choosing a political side as much as he was and you know he was for the the troubled and the downtrodden. He he had been through that, and he wanted to be the voice for people like that. Being an ex-criminal lawyer, you know his his prison concerts were quite a magnet for me. You know that he could care that much and treat these people with such respect. All they wanted to do was be treated with respect, which obviously weren't by prison staff. And he came in and showed them how to do it, basically. 
yeah, those those are some amazing documents. Uh, just I, I remember somebody reading where that uh, the most amazing thing is that the act that was on before Johnny Cash were strippers. He goes, I didn't think I'd ever live to see the day where in a prison that a man with a guitar would get more applause than strippers. <laughs> <laughs> on to track five, a Chris Christopherson read, written song called Why Me Lord. Why me Lord, what have I ever done? To deserve even one of the blessings I've known Why me, Lord, what did I ever do That was worth love from you And the kindness you've shown and this one is probably, this is a, a fairly stark record as we talked about, and, and there's not much going on beyond just Cash's voice and a guitar. Uh, but even this one still feels more, even more spare and sparse than most of the other songs. And it, the way it kind of leads up into the hook of, of all the people who could have been successful and all these things that happened to him, you know, why, why me? Sometimes you, you want to question that and then you can see in this song, he doesn't always want to, that he sometimes needs to question how it is that he found this way when so many other people couldn't. What are your thoughts here? Why me was the flip side of Sunday morning coming down. It was like the reverse process, him basically wanting forgiveness for the hedonism of the 60s and trying to put that behind him. Yeah, I hadn't really, uh, I know because I know Chris Christopherson wrote both of those. I hadn't really put that together. That's a that's a great observation. On to track six thirteen. This one written by Glenn Danzig. The reason why I have this record to begin with. Bad luck, wind been blowing at my back. I was born to bring trouble to wherever I'm at. Got the number 13 tattooed on my neck When the ink starts to itch Then the black will turn to red What do you think about this one? I think it sums up in one word. That, that's what great songwriting does. It sums up in very few words what the rest of us take pages to say. 13, unlucky number. List all the things that have been unlucky in my life. Job done is... is conciseness is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and Glenn Danzig didn't record this until a few years later. He ended up putting it on, I think, his fifth or sixth record. Uh, so this is one that he wrote specifically for Johnny Cash because Rick Rubin had asked him to, because Rick Rubin had produced Glenn Danzig's first uh, couple of solo records or with that solo band. I think this one took him like 15 minutes to write. He was just able to channel what he thought Johnny Cash would do with his material and it just it really works. I really love this song. It's a wonderful song. Yeah, and it's nice and it's dark and it's one of those it feels like an old western uh, like those great western songs that he used to do and uh, there's just so much so much to like it but you know just that uh, bad wind been blowing at my back is the opening line and man I love that and I just like how it all works together and I, I was a fan of Glenn Danzig I'd like to I like those first couple of Danzig records and I like some of the stuff from the Misfits and from such a disparate part of the musical spectrum and just being able to it's one thing when Chris Christopherson writes a, a, an album for John, or a song for Johnny Cash and it's another thing when you know the guy who sang for the Misfits <laughs> Yeah. is writing for Johnny Cash and still just as effective. And I think that was uh, that was great. And such a, 
Such a great song on this record. On to track seven, Oh Bury Me Not, which has been credited to John and Alan Lomax, along with Roy Rogers and Tim Spencer. So this is probably actually an old spiritual. And guide me on that long, dim trail ahead that stretches upward toward the great divide. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie. These words came low and mournfully. This is another one where you just, yeah, you can just feel Johnny Cash in this one when he's that, that spoken word part of it. And just the way he the way he carries out the chorus just i i really like the song what about you yes bury me not is an adaptation of a sea song called the sailor's grave or the ocean burial written by a guy called edwin hubble chapin published in 1839 and put to music by george allen and as you say taken over by the lomaxes I didn't know that first part about that, so I just uh, yeah, saw the, the credits as they were and, and went with that. So uh, what do you think about this song? It's a good song. I'm trying to think, actually. I'm not that familiar with it. But again, it's part of the, I think it's part of the realization of a man who's coming to the end of his life, as most of the album is, getting his house in order, getting his will together. It's the musical equivalent of a piece of will writing, I think. Yeah, you can definitely hear that, especially on this first half. Not so much on the on the second, but on this first half, there is quite a bit of that, which we would see a few times in the this final series of records that he that he has done, because he he did have such issues with his health, and uh, you know he wasn't an older man by this point. So that brings us to the end of side one of American Records by Johnny Cash with my special guest Johnny Steingold. Now, Johnny, you do the uh, radio show for Mad Wasp Radio, doing the Americana show. What got you interested? in this type of music? Well, I have to tell you, until the very early 80s, I hated country music because our exposure to it was all the Nashville stuff, Rhinestones, Porter Wagoner, all that sort of stuff. And then I got, I was watching television one night and Lyle Lovett came on with his large band and he'd taken country in a slightly different direction from the Nashville sound, as had Dwight Yoakam. So those, those were my first two exposures to country or Americana. And it kind of mushroomed from there. Steve Earle is a big favourite of mine, and Lucinda Williams. If you've heard my show, Lucinda's almost a resident artist every week because she's always bringing (laughs) out new stuff for other people, for herself. And I I do this cruise every year called Kayamo. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm -mm. It's a Caribbean cruise which has all these artists playing on board. John Prine, John Hyatt, Christopherson's been on it, Lyle Lovett, Steve Earle, Lucinda Williams. It's a week on the sea with all these people playing gigs every night, starting at midday, going through to midnight. And when I when I was coming to the end of my career, I decided I was going to do hospital radio as a volunteer. And I was doing it. And there were certain constraints because obviously you have to take into account the demographic of the people that you're playing for. And one day this woman came in to the pub where my friend was, he does the show after me and she was looking at him with all these notes and everything. And, and she ended up coming over to the studio I said, I'm starting a radio station. Would you like to be involved? And I said, I need to think about it. Yes. <laughs> Almost as quick as that. I said, you've got a two-hour show. You've got carte blanche to play what you want. And I've been doing it for two years now. And I, it takes me about five days to put a two-hour show together. I record it at home and then send it into. They put the jingles and things together. I've built us 
small but quite loyal following and it's uh can't think of a better way to spend my time than playing music trying to introduce people to music that i think is good and what's your process for uh for choosing the songs and i noticed uh, at least from what i got to listen i haven't been able to go back and listen to everything play one song and then you speak and then you play another song and you speak do you always do that or do you ever play little sets of music i, do, I sometimes play two sometimes three songs on a on the trot i like to get as much music into the show as possible and i like to keep the talking People want to hear music, they don't want to hear me, but I feel that I ought to give them a little bit of insight into who they're hearing, some small information about the artists. And what I try to do is pick established artists and then, if it doesn't sound like banging my own drum, I like to try and give exposure to people who might not get on the radio otherwise. And I do this by trawling through Spotify and websites of Americana shows and stuff. And I find people that I, I think people wouldn't have heard of and put three or four of them into the show. And then I get in touch with them and tell them they're going to be in the show. Can they give me a bit of information about themselves if it's not readily available? I tweet the artists in the show. It's nice to get somebody coming back and saying that they've responded and they know they're on the radio and you're playing them. And uh, I just do it because I love the music. There's no other motivation involved except love of the music and hoping to maybe give somebody's career a boost. Which would always be nice, especially in, in these times. So sure. they can uh, they can find your show. That's on uh, madwaspradio.com. Four o'clock at- UK time on a Saturday afternoon, repeated Monday at 7 p.m. and Friday at noon. Okay. And there's also an app that they can download. Madwasp which- Radio app on Android. I, d- I don't deal too much with uh, Apple products, so I'm not too familiar with I've got an app on my iPad, actually, from Apple, and I've got it on my phone as well. I think if you just Google Mad Wasp Radio, the app is there to download, and it's a variety of music. It's not just Americana. There's everything electronics, 70s, 60s. It's a very good mix of music. But obviously, I want people to listen to my show before they go to anybody else. <laughs> I think they'd be in for a treat. Definitely, yeah. So people should definitely check that out. So we're going to go ahead and flip the record over. Track eight, the Leonard Cohen classic, Bird on the Wire. Like a bird on a wire Like a drunk in a midnight choir I have tried in my way to be free What do you think about this one? I was never a great fan of Leonard Cohen. Certainly his early stuff, later stuff I've become quite fond of. But Bird in the Wire is a classic song anyway you look at it. It's an interesting the definition of the bird in the wire is a quiet, lonely, isolated female employee. In terms of the song, it's how taking a wrong step can lead to disaster, basically. A bird sitting on an electric fence turns one way, gets ele- electrocuted, turns the other way, and life's opening up for them. Good metaphor. Oh, yeah. J- uh, Leonard Cohen was, uh, is, uh, was a hell of a writer, that's for sure. So uh, he's my all-time favorite performer, and Johnny Cash is, is up there as well. And I'm pretty sure I actually heard this version of this song first. 
I didn't get into earlier Leonard Cohen till a couple of years after I, w- I had listened to this record. So this was my introduction to this song. And he definitely sings this in a very different way than Leonard Cohen does. Because obviously in the early, early years, he still had that more of like nasally voice. He sounded closer to Bob Dylan than to Johnny Cash at that time. And then Johnny Cash just sounds like Johnny Cash on this one. And he really, you know, he belts this one out. And on the box set that came out, I think it was prepared just before he died, but actually was released days after he died with the unearthed box set, which had a bunch of tracks that didn't make the actual albums. And then it had a little bit of a greatest hits thing. And then also him doing a, a full record of gospel songs. And on the one of those three discs of things that didn't make the cut, there was him doing Bird on a Wire with a orchestra. And he had said that was the, the most number of instruments he had ever played with. And just he manages again to make this song his own. This sounds like a Johnny Cash song. Because when you hear the Leonard Cohen, it's more like you could hear Willie Nelson doing the original. And I think that would really work. And somehow Cohen just, or uh, Cash just digs a little bit deeper and finds a way to make his voice fit. And I just, I really like this one. On to track nine, Tennessee Stud, which was originally done by Jimmy Driftwood. This one was recorded live, one of two songs that were recorded live at the Viper Room. The Tennessee stud was long and lean, the color of the sun and his eyes were green. He had the nerve and he had the blood, there never was a horse like the Tennessee stud. Drifted on down into no man's land across the river called the Rio Grande. This shows off just that sly sense of humor. So once again, it's it's just cash and a guitar. You can hear the crowd hooting and hollering. I don't know if there's anybody else up on stage with him at this point, but again, it just sounds like him and he's talking about this, you know, singing a song about a horse and it's a bit of a love song and a bit of a, you know, and bringing people to justice type song and so much fun. I wish I could have been at that show. I didn't know who Johnny Cash was at the time, but uh, if I could go back in time, this is one of those concerts I would make sure that I would go to sure. uh, seeing, seeing him play the Viper Room. And, and I think it really shows just how unadorned the rest of this record is. So, you know, everything else was done ostensibly in a studio, even though it was in the, you know, a living room studio or a cabin studio. But that this song, other than the crowd, doesn't sound that different. And I think that says a lot about the way they approached this record. And uh, it's a good song. It's a fun song. It's a funny song. And when, when Cash can, can make you chuckle a little bit, I, I always like that. What do you think? Yeah, a lot of people have done it. It's almost it's like the Aston Martin of the Wild West, this horse. You know, it takes them through all these experiences. <laughs> I've got different versions of it. Doc Watson does a great version of it. Gillian Welsh does a great version of it. But like you say, Johnny Cash has almost made it his own the way he puts it across in this album. It's a great song. And as I say, it's like a, it's like somebody would talk about their car now, the way he's talking about the way this horse took him through all these experiences. And it uh, covers the period 1825 to the Great Flood of 1844. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I don't do a lot of research with the songs that way. So I, I always appreciate it when my guests have uh, nice background information uh, for, for the song. So that's great. So that brings us on to track 10, Down There by the Train, written by Tom Waits. If you're down there by the train, 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 
down there where the train goes slow. What do you think here? I watched Tom Waits on a show the other night. He's as brilliant as he is weird. And he's one of he's one of those people like Bruce Springsteen who never gets a bad review. I've never seen Tom Waits get less than a five-star review for anything he's done. <laughs> and I, I, he wrote this song for Johnny Cash, I believe, specifically. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, I think the songs that on this album have been chosen absolutely impeccably because they dovetail together very well. There's not a huge amount of difference in the style of which he does the whole album, but there's enough difference, enough nuance between the songs to keep it interesting. And I think uh, I think down there by the train as well, another train song. The me- the metaphors of trains just keep cropping up. Yes, they do. Tom Waits eventually recorded this, and he put that on his three disc set, The uh, Orphans. Uh, and I believe this was on the Brawlers because he had that uh, Ballers, Brawlers, and Orphans, Brawlers, Bastards, and Bastards. Yeah, that was the third one. Yeah, so it's uh, he recorded it on there, and and this is funny because I had never heard Tom Waits's version, obviously because he didn't. It didn't exist, but just hearing Johnny Cash sing it, even though it's different than how Tom Waits sang, would sing it, I could still manage to, I kind of guessed how Tom Waits would approach it. I wasn't too far off of what his version would sound like, but yeah, I like this one. And it's the the longest song by far on this one. It's at, at over five and a half minutes and he just belts this one out. And this is a song I don't know that he could have recorded after the second album. I don't think he had enough voice left. So starting with uh, with the third album, this song would, would have had to have sounded very, very different because I don't think he could have done it. So this is one of the last times he's in, in full control of his voice and he really uses it to his full advantage here. It's going over you know, a lot, some of the same territory. He works in his own wheelhouse and all of these songs sound like they belong on the same album. None of them wear out their welcome. You never feel like, okay, I've heard this one already. And I think there's something to be said about that when it's just his voice and a guitar. Yeah. And not a whole lot else going on. And the fact that he can make these sound so different, uh, I, I think is really a testimony to, to his talent and personality. I think it's a real skill, one man or one woman and an acoustic guitar to hold somebody's attention for 30, 45 minutes. Not that many people are able to do it. Johnny no. Cash is one of them. Robbie Falks, I don't know if you're aware of him. He's another one who's better with an acoustic guitar than with a band behind him. Hmm. I think it takes a real talent to be able to hold an audience with just a guitar and a voice. Johnny Cash has obviously got it in spades. Oh yeah, without a doubt. On to track 11, Redemption. From the hands that came down From the side it came down, from the feet it came down, and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell, a teardrop fell in the deep crimson dew, the tree of life grew. This one reminds me a little bit of 13. It has that same kind of tempo and that same kind of style to it. Uh, a very different song, whereas 13 was about the you know the bad guy, the outlaw. And this one is all about uh, being healed in the, the blood of the Christ. So it's a, it's a different take. I think that they sound similar sonically, which I think is fine because I, I really like this one. Again, I'm not a Christian, but I, I dig this tune. What do you think about this one? Well, it was written, I believe, by Tupac Shakur. 
I don't see that credited here, so that's interesting. Well, it is interesting. I'd love to hear the original version because it would be very, very different from Johnny Cash's version of it. Certainly. And as you say, you know, there's a religious element to it that you wouldn't take from too many people. When Johnny Cash does it, you almost want to go to church. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Almost, Almost, but not quite. Almost, yeah. And it still has that darkness to it. And there's a, a real, you know, there's just a, it's a mood, it's a moody piece. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have that, the bounce that like some of the other ones have. And, uh, and it, to, to its benefit, I think that really makes this song work. On to track 12, Like a Soldier. With the twilight colors falling. And the evening lay in shadows Hidden memories come stealing from my mind And I feel my own heart beating out The simple joy of living And I wonder how I ever was that kind We've had some trains, we've had some soldiers, we have another one. What do you think here? I think this is a man in the home straight of life proceeding towards the end. Maybe I've got over morbid view of the writing and tending to look at the negative rather than the positive, but it strikes me this is a man who's come to terms with the fact that he's not got long to go. And this is his uh, homage to himself. Yeah. And, you know, he's, we, as we talked about before, one to, to speak a lot about, you know, soldiers and to speak about prisoners and to speak about cowboys and to speak about these kind of things. And uh, so even though the, the name is like a soldier, he's really using that as a metaphor. This is not another soldier song, let's say, uh, but this is somebody who is coming to term with his past. And it's, uh, you know, like like a soldier getting over the war. Yeah. Uh, so it's about, about healing and about... Uh, reckoning with who you are as to who you are and who you will be and i think it's uh, it's very effective and another fantastic song bringing us on to track 13 the final track here the man who couldn't cry originally done by loudon rain wainwright i'll get that eventually the third as a child he had cried as all children will then at some point His tear ducts all ran dry Grew to be a man It all hit the fan Things got bad but he couldn't cry also recorded live at the Viper Room. And man, <laughs> this is such a fantastic way to go out. I love that he finishes it on this live song. I love that he goes out on something this funny that he still manages to to bring a level of gravity to. So it's about a guy who couldn't cry and then ends up crying so much that he drowns in his own tears. Yeah, It's, oh man, it's so good. It's another, it's the second longest song at just over five minutes. Uh, you know, everything else was clocking in, you know, two and a half, three and a half minutes and just to end up on this slightly longer song but one that just has a ton of funny lines in it a ton of great stuff going on in it i love that he goes out with the live what do you think about this i think it's almost as if it was written for him because he's, he's turned it into an autobiographical piece i think there's a guy in the cruise that i go and called steve pulse who's a singer songwriter who's got a wicked sense of humor and he he got married on the ship this year before he did a gig and he said, you know, when I've turned 60, I've discovered that I cry about anything. And I, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with him. You know, there was, there was a long time when I took information of any description, couldn't emotionally respond to it. Now I just, I see a, an insect lying on the floor and I'm 
bubbling like nobody's business. There's something, you come to a certain point in life, you know, when crying is almost obligatory. And Johnny Cash is, I think, saying that, you know, somebody who could never cry, now he cries all the time. And I can personally identify with that feeling. And it's interesting that somebody else has written the song and he's taken it and turned it into his own, really. Yeah. You know, you mentioned him meeting with, uh, with Rick Rubin and Rick Rubin saying that, you know, record an album the way you want to record it. He said something like, you know, I want you to sing every song you've ever wanted to sing. And Cash replied with, that's an awful lot of songs, Rick. So I think whether this is one of the first things that he had thought of, or if it was something that came to him later, or, you know, I don't know that that whole process of, of picking out the songs, because there were ones that didn't make it that that did go onto that unearthed box set. And he had a, a lot of different things he could have done. And he wasn't going to put something on a record that didn't fit that didn't fit him. You know, he's not going to even put that on tape if he can't find a way to make it his own. And really just time after time after time does he finds a way to just make it Johnny Cash. Yeah. So, Johnny, tell me, what are your final thoughts about this record? I think it's almost a perfect record, really. Having come back from the brink of nothingness to come up with this is just absolutely astonishing. And there are songs that are well-known. You know, it's not as if they're all obscurities, despite the fact it's an original album. Tennessee Stad, Delia, The Man Who Couldn't Cry is interesting because Steve Earle did a song, The Boy Who Couldn't Cry, and I, I can't think of the lyrics off my, top of my head at the moment, but I think there's probably some overlap there. I think Johnny Cash is an icon and I think he deserved to have some musical headstone, you know, that reflected his value as a musician. And I think this album is that headstone. I don't think it could have been made any better than it is. No, certainly not. And this is one of those, for me, kismet records. I can't imagine having found Cash in another way, but being at a small college radio station uh, as the as the metal director and somehow walk away from that a, a fan of Johnny Cash, uh, and specifically because of this album. And this is an album that I've revisited countless times and one that I, I bought on vinyl not too terribly long ago. And it's nice to sit down and listen to this one deliberately. I, I'd always had it on CD and, and this last week to prepare for the show i've been listening to it mainly on spotify but to just break it out on on vinyl and maybe pour myself a little glass of whiskey and just sit down and listen as yeah. opposed you know and pay attention and and the whole the, the record has been a lot of fun this set me on a slightly different path there's a lot of things that i i have listened to uh that i may not have listened to but because of this record and then me finding some interest in and things like it and, and it kind of came at the same time as i was listening to leonard cohen and later on i got into tom waits uh, a, a whole lot i did you know two shows about tom waits already and uh, I, I don't know if i would have been able to find all those things along with uh you know some of the other things that we had talked about doing like um uh, the jayhawks or wilco or a few other things that you know I may not have given them the time that they deserve because if it wasn't for this record came to me a little bit later, like I said, I was probably 21, 22 when I first heard this record. And, but I still consider this to be one of the most important records uh, for me personally, as in my development of, uh, as a fan of music and happy to uh, have done that. So that brings us to the end of the show. I'd like to encourage everybody who has tuned in today. If you, uh, if you like what you hear here, uh, make sure that you like and subscribe, write us a review. That would be fun. I could use a review. I don't think anybody's written me one yet. would also like to encourage everybody to check out Johnny's show on Mad Wasp Radio. There's a few different ways you can track that down and it's worth it. It's a lot of fun and you get to hear a lot of great music and uh, some explanations. So you're not just flying blind. He lets you know who everybody is and some interesting things about that person. So 
uh, take the time, track that one down. Even if you are not living in England, you may have to stay up late, but I think you can go past your bedtime once a week. Johnny, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate hearing your take on these songs and on this record and uh, looking forward to having you back in season four. Thanks. Thank and- very, very cool. It was a blast. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate that. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.